Coming up on Leading Edge. Gratitude and appreciation turns out to be remarkably powerful in its effect on our daily lives. Happiness, for most of us, most of the time, is a choice. You know, we can choose to focus on the negative or we can choose to focus on the positive. This is Leading Edge, a Henley Business School podcast. Welcome back to Leading Edge from Henley Business School. I'm Thomas Mason. In this second series, we've been learning how to innovate our way out of a crisis, how to get our boss's job, and why we've been thinking about diversity all wrong. For a special bonus episode today, I'm joined by one of the stars of Series 1 and a professor in leadership at Henley, David Pendleton. Our topic is certainly one that merits listening all the way through, as it's 30 minutes to stay sane advice we could probably all have done with at some point this past year. David, welcome. Thanks very much, Thomas. Nice to be back. Great, yes. Great to have you here again. Uh, Now, almost exactly a year ago, David, you were telling us about how to find the right note when there is no plan. And goodness me, when we look back on the coronavirus pandemic, there's been a lot of plans torn up since then. Absolutely, that has. It, it's, it's absolutely astonishing to me that, uh, that I was talking about what do you do in situations of unpredictable, rapid acting change, and all of a sudden the pandemic comes along once in a hundred years to kind of illustrate the thing perfectly. What do you do when the plans don't work anymore? And of course, that was what we called leadership jazz at the time. It's about improvisation and experimentation in the face of unpredictable change. Absolutely. And as a result of all this unpredictability, it's got you thinking even more. Uh, And if we just think a second, we've had a rapid rollout of the coronavirus vaccination programme. That's giving us a glimpse or a roadmap, as some say, of how we get back to some kind of normal. Uh, Now, for many, this is going to mean probably a return to the office. But the official advice for a while yet is still to work from home where you can. David, you've been one of those, I understand, who's embraced this remote working trend. And you've been having a bit of a think about not just how we survive, but how we thrive in this new environment. That's right. You may remember, Thomas, I'm a psychologist by background. And so I was intrigued as a psychologist to sort of think a bit about what some of the challenges are. Why is it that people uh, have an initial burst of enthusiasm and then their motivation and morale seems to sort of crash Uh, after a while. And of course, the the big factors are prediction and control. We we tend to feel reasonably comfortable if we can predict what's going to happen to us and control it when it does. Now, you've got three key baskets, I believe, for this how to stay sane, not just from home, but as we get back to the normal world. They're, They're the physical realms, some psychological tips, and then you, you know you are a professor and a doctor, so you're going to talk to us about neuroscience as well. Um, the first of those, then, the physical realm, some of the key things, routine, sleep, nutrition and exercise. Just give us a sense of those. It turns out that, that kind of granny was right is the way I think of this, of, of this particular topic. You know, when I think of myself growing up, you know, I was told by my, my parents and my grandparents, you know, you've got to get plenty of sleep, you've got to watch what you eat and all this sort of stuff. It turns out that the evidence suggests that those things are right. That, that firstly, that people seem to do best if they've got an element of routine. It allows them to pace themselves through the day. It turns out, for example, that we sleep better if we go to bed at roughly the same time and get up in the morning at roughly the same time each day. 
it turns out also that other elements of routine can help us through the day as well. It somehow creates a kind of a regular pulse of physical activity through the day. And there's also, it turns out, a, a, a case for a weekly pulse, a weekly routine as well. That one of the things that sometimes people have struggled with in lockdown is that week, weekends and weekdays seem to sort of blend into each other and we're never quite sure what day it is or what we're supposed to be doing. And the boundaries between work and home get blurred and so on. It turns out that routine and some sort of sense of boundary management is actually quite helpful. Um, and then sleep is a consequence of that. Um, an awful lot of us spend an awful lot of our time sleep deprived. You know, the, the recommendation is that we need about seven hours. Um, and of course, there's a normal distribution around that. But by and large, most people need more sleep than they get. And so therefore, get, taking the opportunity to, to sleep enough uh, and you'll have to figure out what enough is for you. But take as the start point to the generally recommended seven hours. And then also a, a little bit about diet. Uh, you know, there are certain foods that we eat that will sustain us through the day. And there are others that give us sugar spikes. And when we're a bit down, we tend to eat a bit of comfort food. The problem is that fairly shortly after that, we crash. Um, so it turns out that those general bits of advice about how to stay kind of physically well and keeping your energy levels up turn out to be helpful. Add to that exercise. Uh, and of course, whether you're at home or whether you're able to go out, you can still get exercise. Uh, I've uh, not been able to get to the gym, which I used to do for, for many decades. Uh, but I, what I have done is, is taken up Pilates uh, and get a, an online coach. And, and these sort of things have helped me stay reasonably fit. In fact, I'm one of those unusual people who's lost half a stone in, uh, in lockdown. But that's only because I started out <laughs> too heavy to start with. Yeah, well, you're looking great on the, on this webcam, David. I can certainly say that. So how do you keep a routine going then, David, when, when you're staying up later and a lot of the markers in a normal week, so, you know, the Monday morning, it's back to the office, staying a bit later, doing different things, it all blends into one when you're at home. It can do that. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that this is something which happens automatically. I think it's something where we've got to exercise a little bit of self-control and discipline. We've got to be, put our will behind it all. So if I, if I want a routine, I can create one. Uh, although I do feel very sorry for those people who have had to do homeschooling because I suddenly realise that there's a second agenda that cuts across my own ability to control my schedule, my routine and so on. But I've not had to do that. My kids have grown up. But but those who have, I, I really understand they've got a, an issue here. But, but for most of us, it's a matter of just simply creating a routine. You know, I'm going to set my alarm for, you know, 7, 7.30, whatever the, the time is. And I'm going to try and make sure that I go to bed by, by at least by midnight, you know, and, and make that an act of will rather than something that you kind of drift into and out of. But the other thing I'd say is I think people have become hyper self-critical uh, during the, the lockdown as well. And I really encourage people not to keep beating themselves up about things that they intend to do and don't quite get round to. So for me, this idea of creating routine is a general guide. It's a general principle. We can do some elements of it daily. Others we, we find harder. Do what you can. Create as much routine as you can and as you find helpful. But most people find some routine certainly helpful. And sleep is a, a really important part of that because it gives you an extra boost. It gives you the kind of cerebral clarity that you need to think clearly and apply yourself to the task you've got during the day. The other thing we talk about when we talk about 
not beating ourselves up, being kind to ourselves. It's some of these psychological aspects and it's actually about putting ourselves in a positive frame of mind through this unpredictable period that seems to be going on and on a lot longer than people had expected. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, one of the things I've been doing, uh, Thomas, as, as this uh, lockdown has continued, is a lot of webinars. And so I've been talking to people about uh, how they're coping with the time that they've got at home. And one of the things I've noticed also is that people seem to spend a lot of time being very self-critical, not having done enough in a day, not having done as much as they'd wanted to, not having done it as well as they think they could and so on. And I try to get them to flip that around. I want them to focus, if they want to take their own sanity seriously, on what has gone well today. Can we focus on what you've done? Let's focus on the things that you've done well. And, and particularly as it gets later in the day, don't start to flip to the negative as you start to get tired. And of course, that tends to happen as we get tired. We flip to the things that we're a bit afraid of, the things that we're a bit disappointed about and so on. So what I've got sometimes people to do is I've got them to put a little little notepad by their toothbrush and I get them to say, can you just write down five things just before you go to bed? Write down five things that you've done that you're pleased with today. End the day with a quick review of a number of things that have been good, that have been positive. And reports tell me that, that people are able to sleep that little bit better and get off to sleep that bit quicker because they're not dwelling on the negative. They're dwelling on the positive. You know, and the other thing I'd say is that happiness for most of us, most of the time, I'm not making, making this too blanket a statement, but for most of us, most of the time, happiness is a choice. You know, we can choose to focus on the negative or we can choose to focus on the positive. I say choose positive. Absolutely. And, it, and it's not just giving ourselves that little pep talk, but you find that formalising that process, writing down some of the, some of the good things, what you're, you're grateful for, can actually have some real world benefits. Absolutely so. The, there's been some studies about this. And the thing I, I'm trying to do always, coming from a business school, and very conscious of the fact that we should be always talking about the evidence behind the claims that we make. Gratitude and appreciation turns out to be uh, remarkably uh, powerful in its effect on our daily lives. Well, I'd be grateful, David, if you could move on slightly to tell us about some of the world of neuroscience. So this isn't just about staying at home, uh, keeping a smile on our face and being grateful, but there's there's multiple factors at play here. Something that you call a SPACES model, which is S-P-A-C-E-S. Tell us what that's all about. It comes from a neuroscientist called Hilary Scarlett. She's wrote a, a lovely book uh, about uh, neuroscience and organisations. Um, and she offers... Um, what she calls the preconditions for the brain to function well. Uh, and she describes them as, according to that SPACES model, self-esteem, purpose, autonomy, certainty, equity or fairness, and social connection. So I can, I can tell you about each of those, but the idea in a nutshell is that if you can get these preconditions right, then the brain goes into non-defensive, creative, clear thinking mode. Um, and there are other things that neuroscience is telling us as well. But I find that particular acronym very helpful. It is an interesting one. And it's not just about how you can make yourself feel better. But if 
we've got many people who are managers and leaders or want to get into that frame of work. Uh, and it's also about how you can apply that model for the benefit of your team. That's exactly right. Although, interestingly, I do tend to start with the statement that you hear on an aircraft or at least you used to when we took lights. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea is put your own oxygen mask on first before you try and help somebody else. Or another way of putting it is, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. So, so, the, so what I've been trying to get people to do is to think, what can you do for yourself before you think about what can you do for other people? So well, we've mentioned a couple of them. Self-esteem. Remind yourself of what you've been doing and doing well, getting done. You know, there's always a to-do list. You'll have definitely ticked some things off each day, each week and so on. Remind yourself what those are and don't let yourself dwell on the things that you've yet to do. That keeps up your self-esteem. Purpose is another one that I can look after for myself in a sense. I've got some purposes in my life and in my work. I have a purpose that I'm trying to serve. One of the reasons I like to work at the business school and like to work in executive education is that I get to work with smart people and, and we're able to talk about the dilemmas they face in such a way that even the next day they could go and put a few things into action. I find that a great privilege and a great joy. I just remind myself that that's the, that's the job I get to do each day and that is my purpose. Autonomy. Um, I've always believed in the principle that it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. So I tend to uh, authorize myself to do things that are consistent with the purpose of the organization and don't ask permission too much. It's not a recipe for chaos, but if you've got a real sense of what the organization's about and trying to achieve, then we should be converging on those goals. And again, if you're, if you're aware of what the, the values are that the organization lives by and you live by as well, you can self-authorize much of the time. Certainty is a tricky one because there's an awful lot of uncertainty about it. Sure. But the thing I do also notice that a lot of people listen to rumors. They, they, they read the scuttlebutt, you know, they, they, they get onto the social media where there's very little absolute certainty. What I try to do is to say, focus on the facts. Go to the sources of information that are authoritative. So, for example, you know, the Office for National Statistics. Look at that. Certainty for me is about we're certain about our purpose. We're certain about our values. We can be certain about much of the evidence that surrounds phenomena that we're involved with. Equity is about fairness. So the thing I'm trying to do is to get people to be fair, first of all, to themselves, uh, to be fair to themselves by, by understanding that a bit like diving in the Olympics, you know, any task that they've got, you can mark for how well it's been executed, but you also ought to take account of how difficult it's been to, to, to do it at, at this time. And somehow that gives you an opportunity to give yourself some credit for a moderate achievement of a very difficult task in unusual circumstances. And then finally, social connection. The thing I've found about Zoom and all of that is that, you know, everyone can be um, sitting on the desk with you. So my daughter in Singapore and my grandson there and my son-in-law, they can be, you know, we can talk to them daily if we, if we uh, want to hassle them that much. But we tend to talk to them once a week, but at least we get a chance to do that. And the social connection with my other daughter in Winchester is just the same. You know, it doesn't matter where they are and we can keep the social connection strong. So that's what I've been trying to do is to, is to be looking after my self-esteem, my purpose, my autonomy, my certainty, my equity, my social connection first. And thinking a bit about that certainty factor then, we, we really are uh, in an uncertain world. We don't know if the vaccines, how effective they're going to be, how things might change. Quite a few people have have described to me this whole lockdown period as a marathon without an end. Um, 
but I, I think a lot of what you're saying, uh, and maybe it brings in the autonomy as well, it's not worrying about all those things that we can't control in the world. There's always going to be bad things happening. There's always going to be bad news from one side or another. But it's actually just getting down onto our daily routine, our world. In your case, you're talking about what you put in front of your camera uh, and getting some certainty that way. That's it. The thing I find really helpful, again, <laughs> Granny was right. Granny always used to tell me about, you know, the, the grace prayer. You know, God give me the grace to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I think it's not a bad principle to live by, actually. You don't have to be religious about it, you know, but to, to understand that there are some things we can change and control and we should get on and do that. There are some things we can't, so we might as well sort of accept that and not worry too much about it if we genuinely are, if they're genuinely beyond our control and the wisdom to know the difference so that we don't fool ourselves. Um, and, and I think that the other thing I'd say is that for most of us, most of the time, things do tend to work out. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a lovely uh, 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 saying from Mark Twain, you know, that, who said that I've had many problems in my life, some of which actually happened. Um, and, and again, it, these little aphorisms I've I found helpful because there is enough of a germ of truth in them. I don't want to use them as a kind of panacea or make them trite and glib. But, but I think there is an, an element of truth that the human race has survived because usually things tend to work out. Now, there are things we can do to, to increase the, the odds that we're going to do well. Getting a vaccination is number one on, on the list right now for me and, and many of us now have had those vaccinations uh, and they've given us the risk profile of much younger people uh, but but simply hope is not a good strategy but but taking the action steps we can to look after ourselves really makes sense so taking control and then thinking about this purpose sometimes if we're having a team meeting and, and it's a load of people on a screen it can be harder can it not to get that sense of collective team purpose you're missing those water cooler moments with your colleagues having a little chat about what went on at the weekend so how would you suggest that we keep purpose going in this zoom online environment well let me let me if i may tackle three things at once i'll, I'll tackle that for sure thomas i won't duck your question um, but but i want to put, pull in autonomy and self-esteem as well because here's my answer I think, first of all, that we tend not to rehearse our purpose anything like often enough. You know, why do we exist in the business school? Why are we there? We could perfectly happily discuss it for a little while. Um, but somehow we feel it's um, somehow beneath us. We should know what it is. You know, uh, I'm, I'm working with um, a number of clients at the moment, one of whom uh, works in the uh, sort of tangentially to the nuclear industry. Um, you know, and we can you can renew renew your sense of purpose about green energy, about you know making sure that that the lights stay on, that the babies' incubators you know stay on, and all of these things. And and but certainly when I worked in the power industry, you know we were very conscious that we our job was to make sure the lights don't go out uh, because people's lives depend on it, and we could rehearse that any time we liked. The second thing we tend not to do is we tend not to rehearse and to analyse carefully enough why things have succeeded. We are often uh, tempted to review failures, believing that somehow we learn from our mistakes. 
I want to tell you right now, we learn a whole lot more from our successes because we learn what to do, what to repeat, uh, but we mustn't fool ourselves. So I, I, the second thing that we don't do anything like often enough is analyze forensically why something has succeeded and we can choose to do that. And of course, that is a matter of choice there for autonomy and looks after our self-esteem as well. And if you're trying to get back the team purpose, um, you say sometimes it is just about analysing how we're feeling and asking the right question to each other. Yes, I think that we, we can give the team the, the same treatment we're prepared to give ourselves. What will look after the team members' self-esteem? Maybe telling them the things that we're pleased with that they've done, that they've been able to achieve. We can review our sense of collective purpose and we can ask if it's still working for people right now. We can make sure that in the lockdown they have as much autonomy as possible. If I know that I'm a bit of a control freak, I've got to back off that and, and give them some room. And it might even be down to giving them some room around things that are everyday and anodyne, like, for example, do you have your camera on or off? in a meeting. It'd be helpful if it was on some of the time, but if you need a bit of time to stop the hyper self-monitoring that seeing your own image on the screen tends to create for us, then you can switch it off for a while, or maybe you can run meetings on the phone and therefore walk around the room to keep yourself uh, from stiffening up and so on. Give people a bit of latitude about how they do those things. And you can go through the spaces model completely, saying, how can I look after the team in those respects? Um, I'm thinking about equity is there sometimes a sense that some of the people who are at home are perhaps not quite picking up the slack and they're having it that bit easier than some people who've dragged themselves into the office how do you deal with that yeah, I, well, I think make it all discussable. It, it does feel to me that, that we don't have to second guess any of this. We can actually have a discussion about how we want to play it. You know, you talked about uh, returning to some sort of semblance of normality. My belief that that's almost the wrong image in our heads. My sense is that we need to move on, uh, not move back. Uh, and that one of the things that we need to think a bit about is... You know, whenever you try to bring about significant change in an organisation, one of the problems that you deal with always is that the status quo seems to be nailed down <laughs> and you've somehow got to take the nails out you've got to stop the status quo seeming immovable uh, and of course what happens in a crisis is that the shackles that hold the status quo in place at least get loosened if not broken completely which gives you the most wonderful opportunity to create a new normal to create a new world not return to an old one my sense is we need to do that. We need to take the challenge that maybe now is the best time possible to think about, to rethink and to reinvent our organisations, our teams, our modus operandi. Now is the time to do that. So again, one more aphorism, if I may. <laughs> Don't waste a good crisis. This is a wonderful opportunity to make some change happen. That's a very good point. And a lot of the big city firms have talked about how they plan to get themselves out of the crisis and we've seen some differing approaches so Goldman Sachs for instance a big bank they've rejected their boss David Solomon he said remote working uh, it's not a new normal it, it's an aberration um, BP has told their staff they're going to be expected to work two days a week from home um, but they might not get a say in it uh, the boss of the Canary Wharf Group a massive office uh, island complex in London uh, said working homes left many people fatigued um, whereas an, another 
workspace provider, uh, IWG says it's going to become the new norm. So I, I know it's useless to make predictions in this kind of world where things are changing all the time. Um, but how do you, where do you see it going in the short to medium term? Well, I think I think there is a mega trend that we can kind of just point to, and that is that the leadership through the 20th century became increasingly democratized. More people get more of a say uh, in, in, in what gets done. Um, and certainly, as we are now sort of almost a quarter of the way through the 21st century, that is pretty well established, that good people don't want to be told what to do and how to do it in any great detail. They want autonomy, they want some space to be able to contribute themselves, to contribute their thinking and to contribute their innovation and creativity. We won't get the best out of people if we overly control them. So my sense is that part of that mega trend, where goes, all, all that will have happened during the pandemic and the lockdown, is that that mega trend will have been ex accelerated it won't have been changed in terms of direction. It will have been accelerated. And so therefore, my sense is if you're part of the war for talent and you really want your best people working for you, you've got to give them a bit of choice. In fact, I go so far as to say that if you have choice about how you operate, you, your, your quality of life increases. My belief is that quality of life is proportional to the, to the uh, amount of salient choices you can make. You know, so and even so, you know, why do I live in, in a city? I live in a city so I can go to the theatre. Do I go to the theatre very often? No, but I feel I can. And that increases my quality of life because I have the choice. And so the same thing is likely to be true of work. So my sense would be don't retreat to being over controlling. That's moving back in time, back, back along the megatrend dimension. Recognise that good people want more choice. Let them have some. Well, you might be quite favourable then, David, to the, the Spotify model, the music streaming giant. They've, they've introduced a, a work from anywhere policy. And what they've said is whether it's at home, the office or even at the beach, do, you, do your work wherever you do your best thinking. Um, so that might work for them. And you can get some nice music playing in the background, I suppose. But thinking about you then a minute, David, uh, we've asked all our guests on their second series of Leading Edge, what three things will they take with them back to the office? Uh, from some of your comments, I'm not 100% sure that you're planning to, to go back to the office. You seem to have created quite a, a, a successful home office. Um, so I'll just ask you then in your case, what, what things will you keep doing after lockdown? Three things. Yeah, well, firstly, I'm going, to, I'm going to continue avoiding the gym and carrying on with my Pilates. I've decided that being able to bend has an advantage so, so that it is no longer the case for me that, that putting my socks on is the hardest job of the day uh, because I can actually bend and reach my feet, which is a great advantage. Uh, so I'll, I'll keep the Pilates up. The second thing I'm going to do is uh, try to keep this hybrid way of working. Uh, I, I really love the fact that we can pull in courses with people from all over the world uh, without anybody having to leave their, their, their bedroom, their study or their sitting room or their office. Uh, I'm, I'm loving that. And, and the online courses that we've been doing, I'll keep that up. Uh, I'll also uh, go back to uh, Greenland. It's a wonderful place to study and either on the banks of the Thames. Why wouldn't I want to enjoy that? So I'm very happy with the idea of hybrid working and I will continue that. And I think the third thing I'm going to try to do uh, in all of this is to uh, continue to write. I've, I've written uh, two books uh, during the lockdown. I've started the third one. You'll be glad to know on the subject of our last podcast, which is the Leadership Jazz. Uh, and that's in very early stage of preparation at the moment. But I'm going to try to 
discipline myself to to continue to be a, a bit more productive in terms of output than I than I was before. And as a classic extrovert, you know, I always find it easier to talk to people than to sit in my study and write. But uh, I've been getting into the writing much more now, and I'm hoping to keep that up as well. Great. Well, that's really some really wonderful tips there about how we're going to stay sane. Uh, again, another quick fire round of questions just that we asked all of our, our guests. Um, if you could just try and answer them in, a, in no more than one sentence, uh, just, just some binary A or B questions. So, so here goes. Um, screens or paper? Oh, uh, it has to be both. So a hybrid model there, straight away. Um, ballpark or local park? <laughs> I'm a classic strategic thinker, ballpark. <laughs> Great. Uh, outside the box or watch the box? <laughs> I think get a new box. Right. <laughs> that's that's a good answer. Um, here's, here's one, because I believe your, your office isn't in just one place. Um, but vacation or staycation? Oh, vacation. I want to go to the sun every time. Mentor or mentee? Oh, life and my career at this stage of my career is pushing me into the role of mentor increasingly. 80% or 20%? Well, that's a really interesting one. Again, I'm going to go for both, but let me just give my sentence as to why. There are times that you need to focus on the errant 20%, and in there there'll be some answers to puzzles that you discover in the 80%. So, of course, I'd try to encourage productivity and stick with where the yield is greatest, but sometimes the puzzles are in the bit that you haven't got to. Um, I think I might know the answer to this one. Yoga or Pilates? <laughs> well, I, I call it Pilates. My Pilates teacher might call it staggering around and being, being a bit pathetic. And finally, starter or dessert? Oh, oh, Dessert dessert well you've given us quite a meal here um more than a snack but but you know plenty very digestible we've stuck pretty much i think to our 30 minutes so i'm just going to say david pendleton professor in leadership at henley business school thanks very much for joining us here for a second time and we hope you'll come back for a third here on leading edge thanks so much leading edge is a henley business school podcast this episode was written and presented by thomas mason Visit hly.ac slash leading edge for more.